Agencies across government are tasked with accelerating the development of mission-critical systems. We'll be presenting a series of podcasts throughout the year with federal executives and program managers to discuss what types of technology they're implementing and how to minimize inefficiencies and improve productivity to power technology modernization. Today's low-code episode is sponsored by Appian. Hello and welcome to the webinar on modernizing government acquisition. Today, I'm joined with my friends from Deloitte, Gail Guzman, Jake Edelman. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Ben. I think we should introduce ourselves. So I'll go first. Uh, ben Allen, I work for Appian. I've been at Appian for 20 years now. I spent pretty much that entire time working with federal civilian, DOD, state and local customers, building acquisition solutions on Appian. Gail, I'll turn it over to you. Hi, Gail Guzman. I've been with Deloitte uh, 10 years as a specialist leader focused on uh, the intersection of technology and the uh, the pains and tr trials and tribulations of being a contracting officer in the federal government. Um, that sort of start, that journey started at a prior employer, uh, being the first developer on what became the standard procurement system, which is the contract writing solution that was used for, for decades across the entire Department of Defense. And I've had the opportunity since then to work with Ben and, and Jake and uh, hopefully uh, carving out what I hope is the next generation of solutions. Hi, everyone. Jake Edelman. I'm a specialist leader as well here at Deloitte. I've been doing low-code modernizations for about 12 years. I'm an Appian architect for the last seven years. I've worked with acquisition solutions um, in the federal space for defense, intelligence, and state and local markets. All right. Now we got that out of the way, we'll get to the fun stuff. So the first thing that I want to talk to you guys about is that uptick in interest in modernizing acquisition systems. I think you guys are feeling similar. There are a lot of nights and weekends responding to RFPs and RFIs, and it seems a lot busier than it was maybe a year or two ago. And I'm interested to think or hear about why you guys think that's happening. One of my theories, though, is COVID. Everyone was at their homes working on their laptops, on these old antiquated systems. But at the same time, they're wondering, how do I get groceries to the house? How am I gonna get dinner to the house? They're using Instacart, they're using Grubhub. And these new technologies, they look completely different. And then they go back to their acquisition system. They're like, oh my goodness, this is what I have to deal with. And so I think now after that, everyone said, I know what technology can do. I want it to be different. Let's make that happen for an acquisition system. So that's one of my theories. I don't, I don't know what you guys think. Gail, do you want to weigh in first? Yeah, I think I think you hit it. I'm not I'm not sure if it's just COVID, but just in general, right? The 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 speed of technology, the the what's possible has has just expanded, um, you know, significantly. And so, just in general, not just in the acquisition space, but in the back office space in general, in the you know, in the business domain. Um, you're seeing significant advances. Even even the enterprise resource planning solutions, the ERPs, are you know dramatically enhancing their uh, capabilities. And so, looking for solutions that are going to really leverage you know things like artificial sorry artificial intelligence, robotics process automation, um, machine learning, all, you know all those kind of features. And Jake, what do you think? I do think the government has been investing in modern technologies for the last ten years or so. I think COVID like it did for a lot of different technical areas, um, sped things up, right? There was a need to adapt. The government specifically needed to buy things faster and respond quicker. So I think the name of the game in acquisitions in the federal space and the government space is speed. How can we buy things faster? How can we see where they are in the pipeline? How can we respond to the needs? 
Um, and I think the I think the pandemic really did speed up the need for us to be able to do that in a more meaningful and structured way. And also, yeah. as it relates to acquisition, I just thought of one other thing. Just increasing scrutiny for auditability and, and looking at, uh, you know, the, there's financial transformation going on. There's, there's uh, you know, audit and I, uh, inspector general uh, concerns that are raised continually and being able to have solutions that allow our federal clients to be able to address those, those uh, requests and, and uh, inquiries. Yeah, I know that I'm often the one to blame COVID for, for a lot of different things. It's sort of been my go-to for the last couple of years. The other thing I believe is the new workforce that's coming in. I think you guys are probably seeing that a lot of agencies you're working with as well, is a lot of new people coming in with certain expectations. This is a different generation that grew up with different technologies. And if you put them down next to something that looks like a green screen or something close to it, the next sort of evolution of a green screen, um, they're not gonna stay in the profession. And that's a problem. I mean, we need, we need to keep fostering acquisition uh, community and the development of, of those new leaders for for tomorrow. Well, and and, and I think that there's a couple of things there that you just hit, right? There's the um, there's the age, uh, and so what we call the bathtub of you know we have quite a lot of uh, junior folks, and then we have folks that are getting ready to retire who, frankly, probably struggle a little bit with some of these technical advances, um, are not as uh, adapted to them, and so um, the challenge is as you're trying to recruit this younger workforce. Uh, you know, a lot of our federal clients are having a hard hard time recruiting and more importantly, retaining uh, resources. It's been great for those of us in consulting because suddenly we have a whole uh, community of folks that are now available. But um, I think you hit something really important in terms of appreciating the impact from a workforce standpoint. I mean, Jake, you've got to see this all the time. Yeah, I think that the people entering the workforce today, it's no longer a Will I embrace new technology? It's an expectation that new technology and modern ways of doing things are going to be there. Or it's not, I mean, I can speak from a millennial standpoint. It's not worth my time to learn tons of archaic tech that will probably be replaced in my time in the workforce. So I want to come in with something modern and intuitive. And it makes the onboarding process easier. It means learn, having to learn the FAR in depth potentially is not a you know necessary qualification to get in there and use this technology for modern acquisition tools. Um, it just is a more ascertainable skill set and it has a broader reach for the workforce. So it's easier to attract that talent. And I got to say, just and he's speaking the truth here as a millennial, because I'm just going to tell you about the conversation before we prepared for this webinar about his frustration with the, the different technologies and how he had easier ways to do it. So he, he's speaking his truth. <laughs> He represents a generation. Yes, he does. <laughs> the other thing you mentioned, Gail, which uh, stuck in my mind, because I've seen it as well, a lot of agencies are modernizing other systems, not not just acquisition, but finance systems. And sometimes I'll have an agency come to me and, and the contracting workforce will come to me and they'll say, hey, they're updating our finance system and they want us to use the same product for contract writing. And when I see it, it looks like a finance system. And normally I think we would both agree or all of us would agree that contracting folks are usually sort of mild mannered and, and very pleasant to deal with. But if you put them in front of a finance system for contracting, they are not that way. They are very vocal about their opposition. It doesn't look the way they think it should. It doesn't help do the process and automate the processes the way they think it should. 
And so I don't think they need to go hand in hand. I think they can happen and the, and the reason for upgrading them can be very similar and you can do them at similar times, but they absolutely don't need to be the same product. I'm interested to see, are you guys seeing the same thing? Are you talking to the contracting users and hearing the same thing from them? So I think, yes, the financial systems and the contract writing systems both need to be modernized. There's no question about it. Um, how we do that in a structured way that's meaningful for both sides of the house is the question at hand. Uh, financial systems about how we track our money, how we allocate it, how we see where it's being spent, those are archaic. And if those aren't modernized, then we're going to lose the ability to see how the whole operation is done. Um, and those are happening right now. I think hand in hand with those, the financial system hand in hand with the contract writing system need to be modernized at the same time. Um, how we spend the money is the other side of the house. Um, how we write contracts and where we're putting that um, it's imperative that we able to, like we just talked about, we can do that faster. We can do that in a more structured way. We can track those processes and streamline them and respond to events that are happening outside of our control. Um, contracting officers that aren't able to, to spend the money that they've been out, you know, obligated. We all know if you don't spend it this year, you're not going to get it next year. And then the financial systems will have to allocate it somewhere else. I mean, they need that visibility and that structured way of doing things. They have to go hand in hand and they have to be modernized together. Keep everyone accountable. Everyone comes to the table. We learn from each other and we just bring the whole process into the next evolution, which is what's happening today. So I have a slightly different point of view on this. And I think, um, and I'll kind of use a little bit of, of history. So when when uh, when I was first working on the standard procurement system, that was a huge- I love Gail's history lessons, by the way. Go, go ahead, Gail. <laughs> Stand by, grab your, grab your cocktails. Um, but uh, when we first did the standard procurement system, I mean, that was such a huge leap. You were moving from mainframe green screen solutions to Windows. And we, in fact, to the point that we had to adapt the training to teach people what a mouse was. I mean, this this is, you know, how significant it was. So that rolled out. Um, you know, there's there's questions as to whether, you know, the extent of the success. But you had a large user base over a period, pretty long period of time. Um, and, you know, I think a fair amount was accomplished in terms of standardization um, and consistency. But in the interim, after that was deployed, then all of the services and agencies within the Department of Defense were then moving forward with ERPs. Um, so whether it was SAP or Oracle seemed to be the dominant ones, SAP uh, for Army and Navy and Oracle for for the the Na uh, sorry the Air Force and, and the uh, Fourth Estate within the Department of Defense. And I think the big shift that I found really significant that I hope will sort of permeate over other, other parts of the federal government is the joint decision by the uh, uh, folks in the acquisition workforce and the comptroller uh, workforce uh, defining a data standard. And uh, in, in this case, the, within the Department of Defense, it's the purchase request data standard and the procurement data standard to basically come up, like in my mind, it's like the Rosetta Stone of the different vocabulary because, uh, and I see it all the time, it's almost like the financial folks, the program folks, and the, the contacting folks are speaking different languages. And so they may use a, a, a similar term, but it means something completely different. And so kind of connecting those dots um, has really been important. And I think that uh, makes it, you know, whichever one you go with first, you know, I, I do think you need your financial structure in place um, so that you can effectively uh, modernize your contracting. But 
Um, you know, could it go the other way? You know, potentially, but you're probably going to have to go back and adjust your contract writing piece if your financial uh, backbone is still is still in play and is still moving. You're going to have to continue to adapt as as those shifts are made. So I don't know if you agree with that, Bandit. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with the data standards. If they're sharing, if they're dancing that same sheet of music or playing to the same sheet of music, then you can often move out together. Um, they know how they're going to integrate. They know what data they're going to have to send across. This is what the commitment's going to look like when it comes into the contract writing system, or this is what the obligation is going to look when it comes from it back into the finance system. And then I think if we look at acquisition wider, you can also start on other areas of the application too. Like one of the pain points I still hear from customers all the time is the requirements process, just building that package or even early requirements planning is really difficult. And there's a lot you could do there before you even need to touch the finance system and pull in the committed dollars. Um, so that's some of the pain points I've been hearing recently. Well, so let me add to that because I got a fresh one on that one. Um, so yeah. not only, so, and, and, and it really is, it's that conversation between the program offices, the finance and, and contacting, right? That Like that dialogue. Um, so one something that is really important is as you're structuring your requirements, you know, that's your preliminary structure for your contract. Um, if you're laying out sort of your, your shopping lists or, or line items for your contract. Um, but then the important piece associated with that, that, that will have downstream effects if it's not done correctly, is allocating the right type and color, you know, of money, whether it's, it's research and development money, whether it's uh, operations and maintenance money, uh, one-year money, two money, if it's military construction, Milcon money, um, which is more like three to five years. So how you, all of that needs to be done together. Like the, it's almost like you need a uh, conference of all the players up front to, to, to pull this together. Uh, I feel like sometimes the contacting community gets sort of held accountable because, well, the contract's not structured, right? But th there's a limit to what that community can do um, if there's not that that ongoing dialogue up front to understand what the end game is. Yeah, absolutely. Jake, any pain points you've been dealing with recently? I think the hardest part about modernizing acquisition solutions, I know I said earlier that we have to make sure it's more accessible to your generation, but there is inherent knowledge about how these things go. Like Gail was saying, color of money. That was a new term I learned just a couple years ago. Um, these, these just legacy uh, user knowledge about how money has been spent, about how we structure contracts the fastest way. I mean, there's a whole strategy for how we respond to things as a, you know, a consultancy, and that's to make sure that it's compliant. So writing contracts and structuring them and organizing them and the, the um, strategies for how you go after work is reflective of the way the government needs to spend money to meet, you know, laws and regulations. So pain points are how do we make it more, you know, easier to do this? What is the best strategy for a system to roll out and write contracts um, without losing legacy knowledge about what's the easiest way for things to get through without being protested, without, you know, having issues and how the, the line items are allocated, that they're going to meet all the compliance needs both internally and externally. Um, that knowledge is not easily ascertained, and we don't want to lose it when we roll out new systems. So I think um, to address some of those pain points is, again, making the systems intuitive, but also incorporating things like business rules and language um, into the newest and latest technical releases for these. Yeah, so making them adaptable. 
When I think also, actually, I'm thinking, Jake, about uh, um, some of the uh, clients that you and I have dealt with. Um, as the implementation approach is changing from the, you know, procurement desktop was implemented within the Department of Defense using the software development lifecycle waterfall approach, right? The, the structured, we you know, design it, we build it, we uh, test it, we deploy it, you know, and then go back, you know, over a period of months. Now with the introduction of Agile, which I have now become a complete uh uh, disciple of at this point. Um, that's a new way of looking at the world, but uh, the engagement of your end user community early and often, I think there needs to be some educationist and appreciation of what that role is and the value of it so that you're collecting uh, as complete a requirements as possible, um, recognizing that because it's agile, you can always uh, go back and add additional user stories and, and uh, requirements. But that, um, for, but for folks to, you know, for, for end users to see the impact of these decisions early and often and, and really kind of get into the rhythm of what the benefits are that you, if executed properly, Agile can deliver, if that makes sense. And what do you guys think? You know, Ben, ben you're, you and your team were the ones that really uh, kind of introduced me to Agile, frankly, and, and it's been really valuable. A hundred percent. And in my daily life, sorry, in my work life, I talk about agile and how we should do it. And I talk about, um, change management and exactly what you said, bring the users in, let them know what's to be expected of this process. And then in my personal life, this is somewhat embarrassing, but I'll go ahead and share it. Cause what, what's a good webinar without an overshare, the software and the site that I use for grocery shopping, where I put in my online order changed recently and I freaked out. It didn't look the same. They didn't migrate my shopping list. I couldn't figure out how to see my most recent items so I could buy those again. Like my whole way of doing things was completely thrown off and I was really upset. And I felt the new system didn't have everything that I thought it should have. But then a couple of weeks later, they rolled out some new things. I was like, oh, so I mean, they're doing agile too. And I'm also struggling with that. You just changed the way my world, everything I knew about how to operate within the application to give me something new. And I tried to be a little bit more accepting and understand that a few more weeks later, they'd have something new. And I love the system now. It lets me pull up for the to pick up the groceries and plug it to my phone and say, I'm here or I'm coming in 10 minutes. So they're already ready for me. Like, it's amazing. And I think if you don't, if you don't understand that that's how the rollout's going to be, those first few months and that first getting the system into production, it can be really difficult. You'll get a lot of resistance from your users. So the, the educational piece of it, the change management piece of it, is almost more important than the technology. I mean, it's really, the, right, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. The leadership, like the communication, right? That, that like, Really, you shouldn't have been surprised by the change, right? That should have been communicated. Yep. And, and and that's why the, the, the communications and change management uh, elements, I think are critical. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Jake. I think that there is a, um, Ben, as you're talking about grocery stores, I realize that I hate going to new grocery stores because I don't know where things are. I want to be in and out in 10 minutes, right? And I don't want to have to navigate every aisle to find the flower. So I think there's a middle ground for technology. If it's an application like a contract writing system or an acquisition management system that you're going to use day in and day out, it is something that you're going to grow with, right? Your skill set is going to grow with the tool as you do multiple releases. On the other hand, and there's some opportunity here for engagement maybe for vendor community, they're not going to go in on a daily basis. They're going to go in maybe once or twice and look at the opportunities and respond as they need. Those need to be 
so simple to use that you don't have to learn anything. And you're not looking for future feature set. You need to be able to do what you want to do on day one so you can respond a couple times a year you go in. So I think there's a middle ground when you look at the different personas and communities that are interacting with it. But for the day in, day out power users, I think rolling out feature sets like the grocery store shopping example, um, where you can grow with it, your skills can grow with it, I think that's perfectly fine. I think for the community that's going to go in very infrequently and they can't wait for um, certain capabilities to be released because they need to respond right now, I think that those need to be so simple to use and so holistic in the nature and functionality enabled when they go in um, that it's most likely not a huge feature set and one that's not going to grow over time or improve over time. You know that much. So I think both of those things need to exist, but I do think that it's certain functionalities and capabilities, um, and different different personas that we're addressing with each one. Definitely. And as we talk about rolling out those new features, and you could see my excitement, which again I'm slightly embarrassed about how excited I was by the update to a to a shopping application to buy groceries. I think we want our users to also be excited about new updates. And are there things that you think are on the horizon? We have some things in our innovation lab. I was going to touch on, but. I guess, what are you seeing that is exciting to you and exciting to your users that are, are using new pieces of functionality and capability for acquisition? Oh, AI. It's all about AI. What can I do to make market research easier? That, And do not tell me about how you make your family do market research. I, I, I got it. I got it. Um, but <laughs> but um, that, you know, I mean, I, I think I think there, there isn't always an appreciation for, for folks who are in the contract lifecycle management space globally, for example, the world looks a little different from a federal standpoint, um, a US federal standpoint. The um, accountability that our contract officers are held to is at a whole other level than their commercial counterparts or even their state and local counterparts. And so you have things like extensive market research to prove that you've gotten the best deal and that you've uh, that your acquisition strategy is, is um, based on uh, you know, is solid and based on, on good proof points. Um, that's, that takes a lot of work. Like, you know, people get frustrated with the duration of the, uh, you know, procurement, uh, pro, you know, process at large from the point that I identify a requirement, a requirement to the point that I get it on contract. It, it, it's, you know, it can be pretty long, but it's because of these additional features. So any, any, or requirements, um, any other ways that we can leverage technology, the source selection process. Uh, I was I was uh, learning recently about a client that they have source selections that take up to nine months for sonar um, uh, systems. Um, holy crud! <laughs> um, so what what can I do to accelerate that? What can I do to not have to navigate around calendars? What can I do leveraging the ability to be collaborative? Um, uh, to be able to solve some of these these problems using technology as opposed to having to work calendars to have a, a meeting where everybody meets together and working through geographies. Um, so those are a couple that come to mind for me, for me, at least. Yeah. Jake, did you have some? The technology that's blowing up the world right now is the chat GPT, right? right. So natural language processing and response. Um, I think it's going to be a little slower for the government to embrace it in most use cases just because government's a little bit behind, but it has to be flushed out. But, you know, suggestion and compliance conformity, how do we how do we make that accessible? So we're taking the human, you know, bias out of the equation. I think from all sides of acquisition, from let's take a look at a solicitation, let's run it through an algorithm and, and see, does it meet FAR compliance? 
right? Like, is this going to be something that people can respond to that makes sense, that matches up against past solicitations? Let's take a look at responses that come back in. If I could submit a response and I could get an immediate assessment score, hey, you're compliant, you're 95% compliant, you're 13% compliant, like, that'd be awesome. And then from a review from the source selection side, let's take it back and look at those responses and you know, make sure that we don't need our number one reviewer in the office every day burning the candle at both ends trying to review 150 different responses. Let's put them through a quick, you know, a quick review cycle that's computer assisted, technical assisted, and let's get some ranking and some stacking and help some people out here. Let's make it so that we can get bigger acquisitions out there that don't take months and months to review and we can buy things faster and we can take human bias out of there and we can cut down on the the legal hurdles that we have to go through. Um, just make it easier all around. Let's let's engage some of the technical possibilities. And documentation. I mean, I mean, what you're hitting too is right. Like, be able to document it all because we're always concerned about the protest. And so, doing even if the if the analyses are done with computer, you know, using technology, the ability to capture those results documented is key, right? Yeah, I, I just think that the embracing of some of these next generation technologies will make acquisitions better for everyone: government, respondents. Right, lawyers probably as well at some point. So it'll be, um, it'll be interesting to see how we can how we can layer those in. Yeah, absolutely agree. I don't think we could be a webinar at this time and not talk about ChatGPT. So I'm glad we got that that reference out there. So I think it's it's already begun to change how we do work. I I certainly leverage either ChatGPT or other large language models that are that are coming out. But I think what's interesting is we've seen things like this before. RPA was all the buzz maybe six months or a year ago. And what we saw with some of the rollout of RPA technology was it was it was sometimes siloed. And so what I'm hoping that we do with AI and, and some of these new um, integrations that we'll have open to us is actually put it into the software, into the, the acquisition system. So I'm not going to automate something by going outside the system, automating it, and then bringing it out into the system. So I think as you, and this sort of goes back to as we're seeing contract writing systems modernize, what's important is to pick a system that can be updated as that next big thing comes out. Is it ChatGPT today or, or whatever federal equivalent of it we'll probably integrate with? There's going to be something tomorrow, and we're seeing that technology changing so quickly. And the platform that you're writing your contracts on needs to be able to capitalize that, needs to be able to integrate with some new system that helps it create really clear evaluation criteria or helps them draft their CLINs really quickly. Maybe I, I created a base CLIN and I just want to type in, can you create four option periods that are each six months long and the last one is three months with a surge support CLIN? And boom, it just does it. When that technology becomes available, you want to be able to capitalize on it quickly. Right. 100% agree. So I think we've we've touched on a lot of great topics. I'll try to recap some of it and you guys let me know what I forget because I always forget something. <laughs> we've talked about how there is a lot of modernization going on. It's not just contract writing, it's finance systems as well. It doesn't have to be the same software, the same finance system being your contract writing system. Standards are out there to make it easier to do that communication, give you some flexibility. Uh, we've talked about agile. And, and rolling out software and the change management aspects of it and what customers need to be aware of. Uh, we've talked about new technologies and all the exciting stuff that's coming. And I think that grows right back into agile and being able to roll out things quickly, get feedback from users. 
Did I forget anything else? Is there anything else we want to recap here as we wrap things up? Now, the only other thing I was thinking about, though, is, uh, you know, part of for me, when, you know, when I first uh, started working with you, Ben, 10 years ago, you know, I, I was looking at all the solutions, right? I was looking at all of the ERP solutions for contract writing. I was looking at the other COT solutions that were in the market. And for me, what was attractive about a platform approach versus uh, a, a, a solution geared specifically for contract writing was exactly what you just um, discussed and the ability to to be able to stay current because otherwise you, you're redoing your your contract writing system maybe every 10 15 years you know how nice you know how nice instead to make an investment in something that hopefully scales with you know the, at the pace of technology and affords you the opportunity to just upgrade uh, with your existing solution and the only other feature that I find particularly um, valuable is the sort of data anywhere perspective, the idea of, uh, you know, meeting data where it is, right? Rather than claiming to be, you know, the system of record for everything, um, being able to, to, to leverage, you know, what other solutions are doing well and, and not reinvent the wheel, but rather tap into those capabilities elsewhere, if that makes sense. I don't know, Jake, if that, if you agree with that, or you have some thoughts on that. I do think it's important that when you modernize any technology, and specifically acquisitions, we talked about you know data standards that exist, both for requirements, PRDS, and um, actual procurement for PDS. Um, data is central to acquisitions, especially in the defense space. But really, any acquisition solution, any financial management system that flows into acquisition, the data is central to it. So as you modernize these systems, um, you don't necessarily want to migrate migrate all of your data sets in. I mean, that's a huge effort, and it's a real pain point. And honestly, it's full of mistakes. Um, but what you do want to do is you want to make sure you retain the knowledge about how those data sets exist. So engaging your, your business side of the house as well as your technical side of the house. I mean, it's always important in a modernization, but it's specifically important here um, for the data migration and the data consistency and data... Um, integrity standpoint, but you also want to pick a platform, like you said, Gail, that you don't have to migrate it all in and restructure it. You want to be able to plop it on top um, and have it be forward looking, like you were saying, Ben, right? Have it be adaptable for the future. And the less rework and restructure and migration you have to do, the more forward looking that platform is, because it's understanding that there is a whole legacy set of technology, infrastructure, and knowledge here that we don't want to have to readapt every single time. And we're just gonna we're gonna be a layer of modernization that sits on top of all of this um, existing infrastructure and history. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it is definitely one of the core capabilities and proof points of a modern system platform um, is to be able to layer on top of your existing work and knowledge and be able to leverage that going to the future. And it gives you comfort and confidence that you're gonna be able to do that as new technologies arise, that you can layer them in as well. Definitely. I think as always, as we've tried to recap, we actually hit on a couple of new topics that I think would be fascinating to dig into in more detail, just around the data that's out there and available today and the access, which we've, we've touched on a little bit. Migration, we got a little bit into that. That can almost be a topic in and of itself. So 
what I'm hoping is we can do this again. We can have another chat about modernizing. We can go maybe a little bit deeper on just one of these subjects. And I guess we'll invite everyone else to watch us do it again and, and have this type of conversation one more time. I have a vision of it being over in a restaurant with beers in our hands or root beers, depending on the audience. <laughs> no root beers. I'll see if I can make that happen. <laughs> Cheers. All right, until thanks then, the chat. thanks guys. Thank you for listening to the Low Code episode, sponsored by Appian on Federal News Network.